Has the world gone crazy? Life is difficult. When you need help, where do you turn? Welcome to Christian Impact, impacting your life with spiritual truth. I am Dr. Kelly Blanton, and I'm sharing practical truths in the Bible that can truly change your life. Happy New Year. The date is January 10th, 2024. It is a new year, and we begin a new series. The series for this year is called Kingdom Legacy. And we will be talking about intimacy for the first quarter. We have divided up this series into four parts. We'll be talking about intimacy. We'll be talking about identity. We'll be talking about integration and involvement. But we will begin talking about intimacy, intimacy with the Lord. And we will be doing a almost verse-by-verse look at the Song of Solomon. Today we'll be looking at chapter 1. And I have to ask you, are you ready to enter into the Holy of Holies this year? Because this song is a divine destiny. It will change everything. We'll be looking at it from the interpretation of Christ and his church. I know there's some different ways you can look at this. You can look at it as a very literal, as Solomon to one of his many brides. You could see this as a typical husband-wife interpretation. There's a lot of prophetic things you can get out of this, but we, we for this lesson, are going to be looking at it from the value of Christ and the church. So prepare yourselves because we're going to see the cry of intimacy between the bride and the groom. And with that, let us begin with Solomon chapter 1. It says, The song of songs, which is Solomon's, let him kiss me with the kisses of his mouth, for your love is better than wine. Because of the fragrance of your ointments, your name is ointment poured forth. Therefore the virgins love you. Draw me away, we will run after you. The king has brought me into his chambers. We will be glad and rejoice in you. We will remember your love more than wine. Rightly do they love you. I am dark but lovely, O daughters of Jerusalem, like the kents of Kedar, like the curtains of Solomon. Do not look upon me because I am dark, because the sun has tanned me. My mother's sons were angry with me. They made me keeper of the vineyards, but my own vineyard I have not kept. Tell me, O you whom I love, will you feed your flock? Will you make it rest at noon? Why should I be as one who veils herself by the flocks of your companions? If you do not know, O fairest among women, follow in the footsteps of the flock and feed your little goats besides the shepherd's tents. For I compared you, my love, to my filly among the Pharaoh's chariots. Your cheeks are lovely with ornaments, your neck with chains of gold. We will make you ornaments of gold with studs of silver. While the king is at his table, my spikenard sends forth its fragrance." 
A bundle of myrrh is my beloved to me that lies all night between my breasts. My beloved is to me a cluster of henna, blooms in the vineyards of Engedi. Behold, you are fair, my love. Behold, you are fair. You have dove's eyes. Behold, you are handsome, my beloved. Yes, pleasant. Also, our bed is green. The beams of our houses are cedar and our rafters of fir. We begin with, this is the Song of Songs, which is Solomon's. And to put it into context, you know, Solomon wrote over a thousand songs. And he says, this is the song of all songs. should also be noted, there were ten major songs in the Old Testament. You might remember the Song of Miriam, when they crossed the Red Sea. There are some other songs like that throughout the Old Testament. But again, this one is considered the song of all songs. It is the greatest of songs, the Song of Solomon. Some Bibles will have it as the Song of Songs. So that so it kind of puts in perspective what it is we're beginning to look at, being the supreme song of songs. And we see in verse 2, let him kiss me with the kisses of his mouth. See, the bride is automatically opening up with a cry of intimacy. She doesn't want to know about her bridegroom. She wants to know her bridegroom. This request for a kiss is not a light kiss. This is an intimate kiss. It shows her passionate desire. See, what we have to understand is that um, when it comes to you and I and, and walking, we should be crying out for something more than just a sermon, more than a blessing, more than a miracle or God, please bring me success. We should be desperate to have intimacy with the Lord Jesus. You know, there's an old rabbinin, rabbininic tradition, forgive me for getting tongue-tied there, but that kissing can symbolize a prophetic word from God. In other words, it's a prophetic word that brings spiritual life. Many times kissing can be considered a metaphor for intimacy with God. We as a church should be seeking intimacy that we can hear the voice of God. We want greater revelation, and that only comes through intimacy. Down to verse, well, we're still on verse two. Is your love uh, for your love is better than wine? You know, wine is the fermented juice of grapes. Just in a historical context, it took three to five years at this time to make the average wine. Five to seven years to make a high-quality wine. See, what we have to understand is that maturity takes time. That's why you have this, let me kiss the kisses of his mouth, for your love is better than wine. This love is a love that comes out of maturity, spiritual maturity. should also be noted that wine is very symbolic of the Holy Spirit and the infilling of the Spirit. And, of course, the Holy Spirit is the one who what, breaks all addictions, which is why we're to be filled with the Holy Spirit and not with wine. 
It continues, because, because of the fragrance of your ointments. Your name is ointment poured forth. This is verse 3. An ointment. You know, an ointment is a type of oily cream. It's there to heal and to soothe. And it puts off a fragrance. Fragrance is often related to character. Why is it related to character? Well, because when a person with a fragrance walks in, it announces your presence. Ah, yes, fragrance can announce your presence, good or bad. And usually when you have a bad fragrance, um, you can smell that from a further distance. Isn't that true? Someone with a bad character is noticeable from afar. But a good character, sometimes you got to get closer to really understand it. And likewise with the fragrance, sometimes you have to get close to smell. And if you get too close, the fragrance will rub off on you. The Lord has a good fragrance. And his name is like that fragrance. His name is an ointment that pours forth his fragrance or pour forth his character onto our life. Likewise, we need the manifestation of his spirit upon our life. There's a hurting world out there and the world needs the ointment or the healing and soothing power of the Lord, but that comes from character. Let us continue here. It says, therefore, let me get this right here. Yeah, therefore, the virgins love you. Now, obviously, we, we think of in context here, you know, as a, as a virgin is probably referencing a woman that has not known a man. But also in context here, these women have not known a man because of the idea that virgin here is carrying the meaning is it's something that's kept out of sight. These are women that have been kept out of sight. They've been kept out of men's sight. Um, and, and again, cultural context here. And so when we look at this from the church's perspective, here's the bride and the groom crying out the bride. The church is crying out to know intimacy with Jesus and is crying forth about his character and his fragrance and wanting that that pour out on him. It says, therefore, the virgins love you. And Connick's here, this is talking about these these virgins, this portion of the church that, that love the Lord, but why, why are they virgins? This isn't a virgins because they kept themselves from evil. These are virgins that have kept themselves out of sight. In other words, these these would be Christians that have not yet come to the point where they're passionately pursuing the Lord. They have kept themselves out of sight. Now, I know we can't hide from the sight of God, but we can't keep ourselves from intimacy with the Lord. And when you look at churches, and so many churches today, you see that there are a lot of Christians, and they, they go to churches and they do things, but they're really not passionately pursuing the Lord. They may be passionately pursuing a good band, they may be passionately pursuing a certain teaching or dogma, but they're not actually pursuing the Lord. There's there's a distance there. And the, the cry is, is that they need to learn to love the Lord. And that happens because they're drawn in by the outpouring of the Spirit, that ointment that soothes and produces a fragrance. Number four, draw me away and we will run after you. You know, to draw me, it implies that there's a distance there. So here's the here's the bride. Draw me away. We will run after you. Well, that implies that there's distance. 
but the bride wants to be closer and we will run. You know, there's an eagerness of desire, readiness of affection, that pursuit, swiftness of motion. You know, there are many New Testament passages that tell us that we are to run a race. You know, Paul talks a lot about racing and running and looking and keeping our eyes on the prize. But we were to run that race. We were to run after the Lord. The king has brought me into his chambers, and I will be glad and rejoice in you. You know, there is a secret place in the presence of God. And that's the place where we find satisfaction. Likewise, for those of you that are married, would you like to meet with your spouse for an intimate rendezvous in public? No. you. When you want to be intimate with your spouse, you don't go to a public location. You go somewhere more private. Somewhere where it's the two of you and you can experience an intimate relationship with each other. It's not a public thing. You cannot have intimacy in public. Likewise, we have to seek out a place to spend time with the Lord, to get into intimacy. Jesus, when he wanted to get away and be intimate with his father, he went away. He went away from the crowds. He went away from his disciples. He went away at night to a solitary place. Verse 4 goes on, We will remember your love more than wine. Rightly do they love you. We will remember Rightly do they love. You know that rightly there, again, sometimes this is where our English fails us. We think of rightly and we think of that correctly. But this rightly here is really more, we better understand is the upright or the righteous love you. The upright love you. The righteous loves you. And this gets back into our heart aspect. If we, If we're seeking the Lord... If we're desiring the Lord, his righteousness, his cleansing power does things to us. And and it causes us to love him even more. When we're living in sin, when we're living in in, in that, it creates a a, a sin-like garbage on us. And that garbage drives us and causes us not to love the Lord. People that live in sin and say they love the Lord are really showing themselves to be liars. Because the love of the Lord creates a righteousness. It creates a purity. It creates a cleansing effect. Let's go into verse 5. I am dark but lovely, O daughters of Jerusalem, like the tents of Kadar. Now this is not about race, actually. Not in the context that we're talking about. I am dark. Are you, are you, willing, are you willing to recognize your darkness, you know, darkness is the absence of light. There's a lot of there's a lot of theologians that write about quote the blackness of the soul. There's something about the sin and living in this world that it does to us. And here the the bride cries out, "But I'm dark because the sun is is tan me like the tents of Kadar." This is all in verse five and six. You know, the tents of Kadar. Kadar uh, was the son of Ishmael. Ishmael, of course, was the product of Sarah's schemes. He's a very symbolic of human wisdom and strength. Kadar, 
Although Hassan developed into passing nomadic Arab tribes. Now what that meant is that because they were passing a nomadic, they had to move quickly. So when they built places to live, they didn't build buildings, they used tents. And their tents were very famous because as they were exposed to the sun, they darkened and they became black. And so the blacker the tent of Kedar means the older they were. They were exposed to the sun. When we step into the light of the gospel, when we step into the light of God, we find ourselves looking dark. The light of Jesus Christ is a way of shining forth and bringing forth our sin. And when we see him as he is, we realize, oh, I'm, I'm, not, I'm not really as good as I should be. I'm not, I'm not looking as, as, as good as I, as I should. And verse 6 says, do not look upon me because I'm dark. Because the sun is, has tanned me. See, we get in this thing, we get in God's presence, and then we go, woe is me. We see this so much, so many times throughout Scripture. When prophets or someone has a visitation of the Lord and they fall on their face and they go, I'm not worthy. Don't look at me, Lord. Because his truth, once, once exposed, we become to see just how insignificant we really are. Jesus says, my mother's sons were angry with me. They made me keeper of the vineyards, but my own vineyard they have not kept. Now, I, I asked on Sunday when I was doing this message, and I asked the people I was teaching, why would he use the, the, the word here for mothers? The mother's sons were angry. Often when we start talking about the church and the, and the, and the son and the father, you know, what, what's all this stuff with the mother? And... In reference here, when we like, for example, when you look at Jesus, you know, we always talk about, you know, Jesus's father, because we know it wasn't Joseph, it was the Lord. But yet Jesus had other brothers and sisters, but they would never be referenced to the father. They were always referenced to the mother, because they were his human brothers and sisters. Their father was Joseph. They did not believe, at least initially, they did not believe that Jesus was the Messiah. They, they didn't understand that. When you look at the, the parable of the prodigal son, the older son did not like the younger son when he came back. My mother's sons were angry. Why are they angry? Because you have stepped into the light of God and your darkness is now visible. And that darkness makes them look bad. See, Jesus' brothers didn't like Jesus going out and doing nothing he was doing because it made them look bad. You're embarrassing us. You're causing our name to be raked in the mud. You're causing us to look bad. They made me keeper of the vineyards, but my own vineyard. You know, in the church, there are people that when you get on fire for the Lord, when you get really excited for God, when you become passionate about the Lord, they want to pat you on the head and they want to put your zealousness out. They want to tell you to calm down. They want to tell you, listen, why? Because you're beginning to expose them. You're exposing their apathy. You're exposing their lack of love. You're exposing their inward sin. See, they like religion. They like the same old, same old, and they don't want you to rock the boat. And so they want you to become keeper of their vineyards. In other words, there's a lot of churches, a lot of ministries, where they will attempt to get you to do the thing that you that they want you to do. This is the ministry we want you to do. We want you to stop doing what you're doing for the Lord and come over here and do this, because we believe this is what God wants. And when you do that, you don't take care of your own vineyard. 
You don't take care of your own calling. You don't take care of the things that's in your own heart because now religion is wanting to bind you down into something that God's not called you to. Let's move on into verse 7 here. Verse 7. He gets in and goes, Tell me, O you whom I love, will you fed your flocks? Will you make him rest at noon? It goes on. You can't help getting in this section but begin to think about Jesus being the shepherd. He takes care of his flocks. He, he, he feeds his sheep. Psalm, Psalm 23, the Lord is my shepherd. I shall not want. You know, and at noon, it represents the heat of the day. There's difficult times. There's pressures of life that happens. And, and it's in those times of pressures and heat and difficult times that the shepherd will make you lie down in the midst of those difficult times. You know, why, why would he want you to lie down? Because he wants to bring you peace. He wants to bring you rest. You know, let's, let's continue on there. Um, for why should I? For why should I be as one who veils herself by the flocks? You know, this is where the bride, the bride is asking, why should I veil, my, veil myself? See, back in these days, the, 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 the shepherds would go out and they're, they're doing their sheep and their goats or whatever flocks they have and they're doing their work. And women would go out to them, especially in the times of the shearing, and these women would be all veiled up because they were prostitutes. And they would go out and they were trying to see which of these shepherds wanted to you know, make a purchase. They're working hard. It's noon. They're trying to make their sheep lie down in the shade so they don't overheat. And here comes the prostitutes. And the bride is saying, why should I veil myself up like everyone, like, like, like these other women that are coming out here? You see, the, we, that's what, that's what a form of religion wants us to veil ourselves up, to be a spiritual harlot. By the way, a really good example of this would be the story of Tamar and Judah. Um, Judah's sons were dying, and Tamar was uh, was one of the wives, and he was passing on between the brothers, and they were all dying. And, um, and of course, she he, he, he was supposed to provide an heir for her, and he didn't. And so she went, she put a veil on, and when he went out with the sheep shearers, she presented herself as a harlot, and he slept with her. I'm not going to get into that whole story. But we... The, the bride here in the Solomon said, why should I look like a wandering prostitute? I'm not a prostitute. She's the bride. And in verse 8, we see this, if you do not know, O fairest among women, follow in the footsteps of the flock. You see, in verse 7, the bride wants, the bride doesn't want to wear a veil. She doesn't want anything like that between her and the broom. She wants to be face-to-face -face once and for all. And verse 8, it starts off with the, if you do not know. And this is the groom talking here, which means you should have known. You should have known this. Because the bride's asking for questions, you know. Tell me, tell me where you feed your flocks. Where do you make them rest at noon? Why should I avail myself? You know, and then the groom responds, if you do not know, which she should know. And he says, oh, fairest among women. Now, you see, the bride was just earlier saying, don't look at me. I'm dark. Look at my sin in my life. But here the groom responds. He doesn't 
call upon her darkness. He says, you are the fairest among all. And he says, follow the footsteps of the flock. Feed your little goats besides the shepherd's tents. So what do we have here? We, what we have the groom, he's, he's replying to her. He's, and he's telling his answers. Now, the, the flock, you got to remember the, the flock here, the sheep, this is, this is God's people and congregation. Follow in the footsteps of the flock. In other words, we should be committing our life with God's people. That's why we don't have to prostitute ourselves as spiritual harlots. Don't go to a place that's got such a formal ritualistic religion that you're really committing spiritual adultery. No, get with God's people. Find God's people and be committed with them. Feed the little goats. Now, this is interesting. You know, yeah, Peter was told to feed sheep. He was told to feed goats. But, well, the goats are the lost of the world. We need to be committed to ministry. We need to take responsibility for the ministry that God has given us and he's called us to as the church. Part of the Great Commission, go out and make disciples of all the world. Feed those little goats. Remain in the shepherd's tents. We need to put ourselves with godly shepherds. With spiritual shepherds who can help us and take care of us. Now I know there's a lot of, especially with today, there's so many shepherds that are being exposed for bad things and it's because God is taking down the fake guys. But don't let that hurt us to the point where we, we don't put ourselves with godly Christians and find some good mature shepherds to help you know, take care of us. Because we all need that. Let's go into verse 9. I have compared you, my love, to my filly among Pharaoh's chariots. Now, I don't have a long time to go into this because I'm already running late here on this. But very quickly, the Pharaoh's horses were everything in this time. And the mare, this is the female horse, the mother of all these horses, uh, she was the pride of, of Pharaoh's everything. They, they took better care of that mare than they took care of Pharaoh, okay? The, everything, the beauty, the... I mean, this horse was cleaner than clean. It braided and beautiful and decked out and lived in better places than most people would ever live in, okay? So for him to say, you look, you're, you're among the, the, the Pharaoh's chariots, you got to understand, this is a high compliment. Now, it's not a high compliment today, but and there it is. And it's talking about what? The bride is high value, high value with the groom. Verse 10, your cheeks are lovely with ornaments, your neck with chains of gold. I'll make your ornaments with gold and silver studs. Let me go through this quickly, quickly here. The cheeks, they reflect your inner life. They express countenance, which reflects your emotions. You know, when you when you get embarrassed, your cheeks will flush. There's a lot about reflecting there. And here he said that, that, that what? They're reflecting our life. Your cheeks are lovely with ornaments. Our inner life is reflecting you know, the neck, when he goes in about the neck, the neck symbolizes uh, your will. You know, Christ is the head, the church is the body. What connects the, the body to the head? The neck does. You know, our will connects us. God doesn't want us to be stiff-necked. That's self-willed. We sometimes think it was a stiff-necked and stubborn and rebellious. But it's self-willed. God doesn't want us to be self-willed. He wants us to be submitted, obedient, submitted to the head. And the chains of gold, those those, those ornaments. Um, I don't, there's a lot of 
you get into the Hebrew word and the understanding and translations, and sometimes it's referred to as jewels, and sometimes it's also referred to as a type of armor or weapon. I think the, the, the picture here is that he wants his bride adorned with beautiful spiritual weapons. That he wants us fully developed. Verse verse eleven, we will make we will make your ornaments of gold and silver. Oh, by the way, I just want to before I miss on that, you know, gold marks God's ownership, His deity on us. Silver is, really symbolizes redemption. Uh, it represents a secure holding. These are things that He wants to put on us. He wants to put a mark of His ownership. His godliness on top of us, that he has redeemed us. He secured us. Verse 12, while the king is at my table, my spikenard sends forth. You know, a king's table is lavishly, it's abundant. It represents those spiritual blessings that God has given us. Ephesians says we've been given every spiritual blessing. That spikenard, some translations just translate that as nard. It's a very costly spice. But it's also very representative of the death of Jesus. Remember the, the woman that poured the, the spike in her on Jesus' feet. It was for the anointing, for his burial. And so here we have a burial uh, spice associated with the king's banqueting table. And the fragrance is being sent forth. That, 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 that character of God is being carried forth. It says a bundle of myrrh. Myrrh, again, another spice represents with preparing a body for its death. Jesus was given that uh, by one of the wise men. It was myrrh. A um, bundle of myrrh is my beloved to me that lies all night between my breasts. You know what, what lies between the breast of a person? Well, your heart does. The heart lies. And so what lies in the heart of God? You know, uh, this, this thing of myrrh. You know, there's a point inside the heart of God that he is he's speaking about his death. That he is going to die for us. And it's a it's and it's a, compared to a sweet smell. Uh, you know, the the, the the fact that the the death and suffering of Jesus becomes our scent. You know, it's also interesting to think about think about this, because of the myrrh, because of that, that when the grave when Jesus was laid, when it was opened and you'd go in, the scent of myrrh and aloes would have been risen from the empty grave. Just something to really you know, ponder. What does death smell like? Well, with Jesus, it smells like it smells like myrrh and aloe. <laughs> That's what it smells like. It's something to laugh about because he's overcome the, the, the grave. Uh, the cluster of henna. Uh, it, you know, henna, uh, um, its meaning, symbolic meaning is, is a ransom. So the fragrance symbolizes the ransom of the blood of Jesus that atones for our sin. Let's, 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 let's move on here. It says, My beloved is to me a cluster of hinder in the vineyards of Engedi. You know, again, Engedi was an oasis in the Judean desert. It represents refreshment because it was a refreshing water that was there in a barren place. And now let's, let's understand this. So because of this death of Jesus, because of what he does, he becomes a place of refreshing in the midst of barren places of our life. And then in, it's from this spot we see verse 15, Behold, you are fair, my love. Behold, you are fair. You have a dove's eyes. 
So suddenly the Lord here is rising up and he's imputing to us because he's saying, behold, you are fair. Jesus has cleansed us from the cross and the dove's eyes. You know, a dove has no peripheral vision. It can't see out the sides. It can only see uh, forward. And so this is speaking about our ability to see spiritual truths. We have dove's eyes. But it's also because Jesus says that we shouldn't look to the right or the left. We're unfit for the kingdom. We should focus on Jesus. We should fix our eyes upon Jesus. Behold, you are handsome, my beloved. Yes, pleasant. You are Also, our bed is green. The beams of our houses are cedar and our rafters are fir. Some translations say cypress. Let me wrap this up. That green there means refreshing. Uh, the shepherd likes to make us lie down in green pastures. He wants us to lie down in lush places, even in the midst of a desert. He finds rush places, lush places, excuse me there. And those beams, you know, in the, in the temple, the beams were all cedar and fir or cedar and cypress. Um, depending on your translation. But that wood symbolizes humanity. And Jesus dwells in human vessels. And the cedar is a very hard, superior quality. It's resistant to pets or decay. Um, and then you have the, 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 the cypress, which was, believe it or not, in Israel in that time, was found growing in graveyards. And it symbolized death. And so with the cedar and the cypress together, it means that Jesus is there in life and death and that he is our spiritual shelter. Let's pray a second. Father, I thank you, Lord, that we were able to, to go through this. There is a lot of words in this, in this message. There's a lot of scripture that we look through, and it's, it's hard to do in just 20 or 30 minutes, Lord. But, Father, I pray, God, that as we've looked at these verses and as we've talked about them and talked about meanings, that, Father, it would stir intimacy, God, that we want to know you more, God, that we want to be with you, Lord, that you would open up, God, that you would tell us good things, God, that, yes, Lord, that when we come close to you, we see our sin, God, but you call us fair, you call us beautiful, you cleanse us from the cross, God, and you bid us into places of lushness with you. God, we thank you for growing with us. Help us to grow in our intimacy with you in this new year. In Jesus' name. Amen. Well, we thank you for listening to this podcast and to this this teaching. Again, we will be going through several books of the Bible this year. Right now, we are focusing on the Song of Solomon. Next week will be Chapter 2. You can check out last year's teachings at a website at www.christianimpact.net. And if you miss one, you can also check out the podcast and some of our sites to make up for that. So until next time, God bless.